Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, a literary publisher of artful autobiographical writing, which you can find today at autofocuslit.com or on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I am the publisher of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, I talk with Adrienne Marie Barrios. Adrian Marie Barrios is the co-author, along with Lee Chadwick, of the prose poetry collection, Too Much Tongue, which is out now from Autofocus Books. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Reservoir Road Literary Review and the founder and editor-in-chief of Close Literary. All right, let's get to it. This is my conversation with Adrian Marie Barrios. Okay, my life. Um... I work from home and I've been doing that for a couple years before the pandemic, so almost five years, which gives me a lot of leeway in terms of the exact time that I spend working or writing or doing other things. So I work in the tech industry. I manage a content production team. I do actually work for Amazon Web Services and I've been there for about six and a half years. Sometimes that can be a demanding job. Sometimes it's not so demanding. I have done a good job of maintaining what in the tech industry we like to call work-life balance. Um, (laughs) So I, I do a good job of pretty much keeping to like standard work hours. And then within that, like I said, there's that flexibility and I'm, I'm able to just jot things down pretty, pretty easily if an idea comes to me and that's, pretty much my workflow in terms of like a day-to-day basis. I don't have like a set time that I write or a set time that I just work. I mean, I do, I keep pretty standard work hours, like I said, like I I tend to work like a 10 to six, I'm on the East Coast. um, So to have a little more overlap with the West Coast, but a lot of my writing happens at unpredictable times and it's like jotting down in notes app and stuff like that. So that that is part of my day to day as well. Um, I do have a pretty good structure. Um, That is something that I've worked on over the past year, just in terms of like, meal flows with within work. So that is also really important. And I think that maybe that's not something everyone would think about. I am autistic. And um, I can like forget to eat. And uh, everything kind of spirals down from there. So I eat breakfast at the same time, lunch at the same time, dinner at the same time every day. That's kind of the most structured part of my life. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't really leave the house a whole lot. I have four cats who keep me company and my husband is also generally at home. Um, play a lot of video games outside of work. Kind of my, we, we watch, uh we tend to try to find like a show to watch right now we're watching bones so my life is getting up eating working playing a video game making dinner and then watching bones pretty much yeah it's like life and work you know when it happens all in the same place like it kind of becomes indistinguishable (laughs) like at some point yeah you you find the structure to just like you're always kind of doing a little of both. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It can get that way. Um, I do. I try not to do that. I know some people struggle with that a lot. Usually when I turn my computer off at night, that's it. 
there have been mm -hmm. a couple times recently that I've had to log back on, usually it's just to provide access to something that someone else doesn't have access to. It's not like doing work, which I don't so much mind because that happens, especially if you're working across coasts or across the globe, there are people working on different time zones. You can't necessarily predict everything but for the most part i am pretty good at like it's like i flip a switch when work is over i'm not on work mode i tend not to think about work on the weekends um unless i have something exciting going on and then i consider it okay <laughs> if i'm like right, logging right. in because i'm excited to check on something but but it, it can be pretty fluid i appreciate the flexibility particularly when it comes to food i hated working at the office and having to like eat out regularly mm -hmm. or um you know, have to make everything ahead whatnot i make it every meal every day not that it's super complex all the time but i'm able to do that because i work from home yeah um and i know you do a lot of editing you know like editing and proofreading and um of all kinds for different writers um and i wonder you know in your life did you always think of yourself as a a writer you know, and then you became an editor or kind of did you always think of yourself as an editor and and then you kind of started, you know, writing as well? So I was, you know, I guess going farther back, I guess generally, you know, talk about kind of growing up a little bit and how, you know, reading and writing, you know, and editing, you know, kind of played a role in, you know, you, I guess. Yeah, this, this is like the most cliche thing that writers ever say, but I'll say it. <laughs> I wrote my first book when I was in like second grade. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. that's, you know, that's pretty typical. I don't, it was, um, or maybe it was before second grade because it was all spelled phonetically. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything about that book. My mom still has it somewhere, I'm pretty sure. But yeah. people have asked me in the past how I chose what I, like my degree, what I wanted to do. I majored in English creative writing with a minor in professional writing. And I, my honest answer is I don't know. I don't feel like I chose it. it. There just was no other option for me. And not in like a negative way. It was just like, this is obviously what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where that came from. That was just something that I always knew. And uh, I never changed my major. I And I went through everything pretty fast. So in I grew up in um, Issaquah, Washington. And now I'm on the East Coast. But over there, uh, they have something called Running Start, which is when the high school will pay for you to go to the community college. And you will you can do that for your junior and senior year. Some people do it for just their senior year. But it counts for your high school credits. And it also obviously counts toward college credits. So I some people are really smart and they graduate high school with an AA. I was not that organized, but I mm -hmm. I had enough that I was just shy of being a junior when I entered university and it knocked out a lot of my um my general requirements essentially. So I was able to focus more closely on the English and the writing and and whatnot. Now, reading has always been a struggle for me. Now I understand why I got diagnosed with autism and ADHD and, and a couple other things late in life, uh, just mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago. So I, I really did struggle with that. I remember in my, um, one of my community college English classes, we had to read essentially a book a week, like a novel a week. And this was 20th century literature. So from the 
um, some from like the early 1900s. And some of that is really dense. Like Howard's End is a dense book to read in a week and have to write two essays on. I really struggled with things like that. And I still struggle to read. Something has to really catch my attention and I have to have the right setting. And oftentimes I read the same sentences over and over again. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not as voracious a reader as most people might expect or like writers other writers talk about how fast they read and how many books they read I don't keep a tally of the books that I read and I also and this is probably another autism thing I tend to read the same things over and over Mm. again because I get Mm -hmm. a lot of pleasure from that just like I like to watch the same things over and over again so um I I didn't I think the reason I did so well in university is because I stumbled upon First and foremost, a professor who I think saw a lot of what I've learned later in life. And um, he also introduced me to a lot of amazing things, like one of my favorite authors, Haruki Murakami. And I started reading a lot of that. And and that his writing style really works really well for me. Uh, but also this professor taught a grammar course. And um, it is... It's his own curriculum, which I actually have somewhere, if I haven't lost it. Um, I got him to send it to me a few years ago, but um, it's much more in-depth and rigorous and fascinating than anything that I've ever seen before. And so that's where I really started to get into the editing was in college. And I became a TA for that class, and I, I got really fascinated with that. And I do just inherently have some skills that that lend themselves well to editing for some reason I I don't know um I'm just really interested in that so I did start that in college and I did plan to edit first and then become a writer that was the goal um and I kind of never really got to the writing part at least not for a long time or I I tried but failed more or less I didn't really know how Um, but right out of college I started doing technical editing for a consulting firm within the the tech industry and I I fell into that they found me through LinkedIn Um, and so I did that for about five years and that's a whole different kind of editing but I didn't really succeed at getting much creative editing outside of that. I, I managed a, a handful of blogs, did things like music reviews and, and different, you know, finance, whatever, um, and kind of gave up mm-hmm. for a while after that. It wasn't until we moved to the East Coast um, for my husband to go to school And one of his professors mentioned that she was finishing up her novel and he said, oh, my wife's an editor. Normally that doesn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) okay, sure. Your wife's an editor, but it did. And um, I ended up doing a copy edit of her book. Uh, She recently finished her second book. I didn't have time to edit that book because I was actually in the process of editing someone else's second book. So it kind of obviously took off from, from there, but that was the starting point. She did reach out after my husband mentioned that I did copy edit her book. And at the time she was one of three people who were involved in a literary organization called L'Atelier Writers. And they had a yearly retreat in France. Um, 
and that was always a dream of mine to go to France as well. And so I did that. And that was the jumping off point. I finished one of the first stories that I ended up having published um, while I was in France and started working with one of them, uh, not the same one, but one of the other three women who ran that organization um, as a, a writing coach, or she was my writing coach, I mean, and um, got more involved in Twitter. I had been on Twitter before, but had jumped off because I didn't have a great experience. And this time around, it's been a lot better. And that is where it all started, both in terms of editing and writing, really at the same time yeah let's see so you joined twitter again and it was like 2020 so was that like around the time that you got diagnosed with autism um like did that happen kind of before or after that let's like see i was on twitter and then i was off twitter i i know i started the mag accounts in 2020 i might have started mine in 2020 as well so that was before the diagnosis. That's That was in like June of 2021. The reason I really got going on Twitter and got serious about a lot of the other stuff, um, including starting Reservoir Road, was actually because I fell down the stairs. And um, I have a handful of other health issues. One of them makes me fairly clumsy. I fell down the stairs and I hurt my ankle and it was it was not going well at all. And it seemed like it was turning into something called um, chronic regional pain syndrome or CRPS, which is a terrible um, syndrome. I was going to call it a disease. I don't know. I never know what word is accurate. Mm -hmm. Don't look it up. It's awful. <laughs> uh, it's, it's incredibly painful. I didn't sleep for like months and um, was in agonizing pain and was like i need something to focus on and i couldn't i mean i couldn't walk or anything like that so that's that's in the in kind of the middle of it because the trip to france was in i think 2018 or 2019 um and then it was when i fell down the stairs during the pandemic i was like this is i need something else to focus on because i can't do anything yeah so in all of that did you say it was in 20 21 then you were diagnosed like yes yeah what? so so i'm so yeah. i guess i'll tell you why i'm a little interested in this i mean without giving i don't know that the person would want me to talk about it but someone um close to me recently found out you know at age you know 38 that um they're autistic and it's you know talking with them it's been you know interesting to watch or you know to hear about that experience so, yeah, yeah, I just wonder if you'd talk a little bit more around like what brought you to be diagnosed, like was it related to the injury or just something in the pandemic that led to this, and like how like did it feel like it changed your life, or did it like feel like it didn't in some ways? I would say from the outside looking in, probably everything looks the same, but for me, I would say it dramatically changed my life. And um, a lot of that is just like perception and personal experience, internal daily experience with things. But what led me to seek diagnosis, um, it was a couple of things. 
some videos about autism or videos by people who are autistic started showing up on my YouTube feed and I was watching those and identifying with them a lot. And I started to take some of the online tests and not just like the basic ones you can find on whatever website. There's a particular website that has more scientifically rooted tests like autism quotient, emotional quotient, and a couple other things. And I was scoring off the charts and I thought that that was pretty weird. And um, the, the main thing that really made me start considering it at the beginning of 2021, like roughly January, February timeframe was when I started really thinking about it. I, I mentioned earlier that I've worked for the same company for six and a half years. And every year we have a performance review, of course, uh, but there's a component of it that's like a 360 review, which is when you get feedback, you, you review yourself, you get feedback from your manager and you get feedback from peers. And I always get someone or multiple people talking about how I come across as inflexible and rigid. And I'm a high performer, but the, but the word inflexible shows up every year, just about. Mm. And I, through these things coming together, the tests and then the YouTube videos and the review that I got again, it was like the same stuff people were saying. I was like, <laughs> I need, I need to look into this partly because I wanted protection because mm. it's, if it's something related to that, um, I would be protected and I am now protected. And that, that is ultimately what really I think was so drastic in terms of how it changed my own experience with life, because there were a lot of things that I had issues with that I considered to be like problems, um, or things I need to fix. And now I understand them differently. They're not, Mm -hmm. they're not things I can fix. I can find workarounds, but, um, it's not like I'm uh broken or whatever and and have to like become better <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just how my brain works so the other the other thing that was a huge detriment and this is this is true in person or i mean um work relationships but particularly true in personal relationships i can't oftentimes understand people and what they mean or what they're implying i particularly don't get jokes very well and uh, that was an issue for a really long time. Just the fact that I like can't understand tone or intention and I was uncomfortable asking because right. it, I thought it was my problem. And it's, it is in a way like I, I'm still the one who can't understand it, but, but you know, it's like, I talked about workarounds, a simple workaround with that is just to say like, I don't understand or like, I don't know what you mm-hmm. mean or, and that seems really obvious, but um, it can be hard to do. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned, you know, starting Reservoir Road is mixed up in all of this too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love you to talk a bit about the magazine and getting it started and, and kind of, you know, the, the mission and, and what you've been doing over these past, uh, what, two years, I think, right. It's been open and then even starting, you know, Cloves, the little offshoot there. Um, yeah. you know, amid this whole community, <laughs> uh, you know, particularly on Twitter, which is how you met Lee Chadwick, which we'll talk about uh, her as well and the book. 
But yeah, talk a bit about, you know, Reservoir Road and, and the mag. Yeah, it was pretty impulsive starting Reservoir Road. <laughs> I didn't think I, I it through. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I don't recommend that. Although then I did it again a year later with cloves pretty impulsively. Um, it was really, so I had an outlet for the more dark feelings that I had and, and the way that I write in a sense, not that I publish my own writing, but that's what I was looking for um, with that. Because I think a lot of, a lot of literary magazines publish really surface level stuff when it comes to the harder topics, they don't dive into it. And that's not true for all of them, but it is true for a lot. And they don't want to dive into the more difficult things. And I think that that is um, unfortunate because I think that's where a lot of really good writing comes from. So that's the reason I started that. And it's based off of the name comes from a story that I wrote. um, And in turn that, that name of my story, which is Reservoir Road, comes from an actual road here where I live that I drove down and it it gave me the idea for the story. So it's it's based on a road twice removed or whatever. And uh, I don't know that I will ever be able to publish that particular story that I wrote because it's just so heavy and dark Mm -hmm. and, and there isn't necessarily a place for that. And I can't really publish my own story. So um, I started it, I was the only one working on it for a long time. Um, I wasn't accepting poetry when I started it because even though we are here today talking about a collection of poetry, (laughs) I don't understand poetry in terms of being able to be an editor for it. There's something different between writing it and and being an editor. So I brought Dorian on, who's a a childhood friend of mine and he's got, really great credentials in terms of poetry. I mean, he was uh, at Kenyon. Um, He's published a lot. Yeah, I trust his judgment and he understands the vision. And over time, we've added some additional people to staff. Um, We're still working on exactly what that looks like. It's always a process. I mean, it's it's a never-ending thing, managing a literary journal. But I think we've done a really good job of sticking to the vision and um i am excited to see where it goes i started cloves because i um reservoir road is very traditional and it's very structured and i like that but i wanted something that was a little more gritty and less structured and less official and formal and all of that. And that's what cloves is. And it's, they're all shorter works and it's, it doesn't need to be quite as polished, um, a little more rapid fire and, um, still with that same sort of intense vibe to it. And it's Mm -hmm. named after clove cigarettes. So like that nostalgic (laughs) (laughs) element as well. And so, yeah, you know, we're about to talk about a book of poems that you wrote with uh, Lee Chadwick uh, and how, you know, this was kind of an entryway, right, to to poetry with you, for you. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you would, before we get to the book, I suppose, talk to me about um, Lee uh, and how you became familiar with her uh, and how you kind of started, you know, working together 
on on these prose poems <laughs> that eventually turned into a book. Uh, but yeah, take me back and, and tell me about, you know, Lee coming into your writing life. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the first thing, well, I think that we were in some threads together on Twitter, but weren't really acquainted. And then the first real thing was she submitted to Reservoir Road. Um, that was my first introduction to Lee. And then we started chatting on Twitter. And the first conversation that we had was actually a debate about submission fees. <laughs> and that went on for kind of a while. And we did a really good job of looking at it from all sides. And I think that's why we became friends because I, I think she reached out to ask what my opinion was because she was on this kick of doing that with editors and she would tell you all about that herself. It was like a whole thing at the time. And most of them were not receptive. And I was receptive to the conversation. Reservoir Road does not charge um, for submissions, but I understand why journals do. So the fact that that conversation was able to look at all different sides of that issue and still come out the other side with an amicable friendship or situation or whatever, um, I think that led to us being friends. Mm -hmm. And one day she asked if I wanted to try writing together. And I said, sure. I didn't really know what that meant. I've never <laughs> done that <laughs> with anyone. And she started a Google Doc, and we were both in it at the same time and started writing. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. I mean, that's pretty much how it went. And that is one of the first three that were published with Autofocus Online. So, yeah, um, yeah it was all Lee. Yeah, she, she's the instigator. She is. So had had you two read like a bit of each other's work by that point or like so were you going into it with a good a good feel for how each other's own stuff was or did you guys just throw each other into it without, you know, that much context? I had read some of her work and really loved it. I don't know how much of mine she had read. She'd never read my poems before because mm -hmm. I up to that point I published I might have published a single prose poem I don't think so yet but um I had poems that no one had seen I had pretty much published creative nonfiction or or fiction up to that point I I don't know if she asked me because of the mag that I run and she sees my style or if I had more stuff out um, or if it's just because we had fun chatting to some extent, like over time, the way that we would just talk to each other in Twitter oftentimes would turn into a poem. It, you know, it was just like very organic like that. Uh, but no, she hadn't really, no one had seen my poetry. She, she eventually saw my solo poetry. This is after we finished the book and, um, when I, I believe that her exact words when I sent her a chat book I had been working on were, um, holy shit. <laughs> you had been keeping it a secret the whole time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I 
that's funny because i don't i don't feel i still don't feel like a poet i have i you know now i have i have this book our our book um too much tongue out just shortly and then my own collection out in may and i still think it's really weird that's funny um yeah and like you know from my perspective you know i know i had published both of you separately on autofocus i let's see i'm i don't even remember when that was but i remember i had lee sent me some stuff uh and then you sent me that piece uh blueberries Mm -hmm. and um yeah and we put that out and then after you i guess you two wrote those those three the first three right Mm-hmm. And then you DM'd me and you're like, hey, we have, we did, we wrote these three poems. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll send them. <laughs> and uh, I really, I really loved them. And, uh, you know, and when we did like the thing back then where we, there would only be like three pieces on the site and we did like the takeover. So it was just like those three poems that week or I don't even remember what the frequency that we were publishing at at that time. Um, and then you guys basically pitched a book to me in the DM. And at the time, I don't even know if I told you, but it was funny. It was just like re- good timing, I guess, because I was actually looking for a collabor- a collaboration book. It was something I wanted to do with the press. And I thought at the time I actually had one lined up for like the year uh, after. And so I was like, oh, perfect. Like I'll be able to like do one now and, you know, cross my fingers. This thing will <laughs> come, come together uh, into a book. And I think the pl- the plan was like, yeah, let's let's you know, why don't you guys write what well, we were like, write like fifty or sixty, and then you know send them over, and we'll you know take the ones that we feel like are good and kind of work together, and then see if we can make a book into it, right? And then by that point, then we'll figure out you know the contract and everything. And that's basically what happened, right? I mean, I can't even remember how much time it was over. But eventually, you know, I check in every once in a while and be like, how many have you written so far? <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, we're up to 15 or we're up to 30 or 40 or whatever. And then at yeah. some point, I at some point, I don't even remember what the number you got up to was. But you were just like, I think we're ready to send a whole bunch of poems. Do you remember what the number was? How many you, I, you wrote in total? I think it was around around 60. 60, 65. And then I think there were like six or eight that we didn't include. Maybe just six. Yeah, I can't remember the total. But not a ton. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, the whole thing was kind of like a Hail Mary, right? I mean, like, let's see, (laughs) let's see, like, what happens, like, let's see what you can do, and then send it to me. And and I, I, well, one of the reasons I think I kind of jumped at it, the opportunity, well, I liked both of your writing separately. And obviously, I liked what the collab was doing um you know is pretty fresh to me you know the poems written you know in the third person is kind of like this conversation of two people who've never really met met kind of like imagining each other into like their lives or like imagining their lives and and I loved the concept and I think it immediately just made sense to me you know as a book and I love to work with books that aren't totally like fully formed yet (laughs) in some way because I like to play like uh, I like to help put the puzzle together I guess in some way so it was fun for me to think about how like you guys were just going to create all this raw material then we were going to basically like let's see what what happened with it and I, I feel like it magically really did become 
a book as if it was conceived of <laughs> even before, you know, it was finished, you know, in some way. Um, but yeah, I wonder if you talk more about, I guess, the whole process of writing that many poems and then I guess trusting me. I think it was amazing that, you know, you let me just kind of look at it. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that takes a lot of trust and I was amazed that you, you trusted me to do that. So I, I would talk, yeah, just talk a little bit more about from those three until, oh my God, we have a book and we need to lay it out and sell it. A lot, a lot of this has, I think, stretched my comfort zone in a good way. But I remember mm -hmm. when Lee said, we should ask for a book deal. And I was like, we should what? <laughs> we don't have a book. I don't understand what you mean. We should do that. Yeah. And I've learned so much from her approach. And it's not, it's very unique to Lee Chadwick. Not everyone, I think, could pull that off. Right. It's true. But um she has some way about her so a lot of this is um driven by her tenacity i suppose to just ask for things because the worst you mm -hmm. could say is no right. and that's right fine. that's kind of that's kind of like what my thing was i'm like i i love to work with people so if you guys are gonna write a book and want me to help you put it together i think that sounds like a fun project and in my head i'm like Worst case scenario, you know, I don't think it's a good book. And let me just go, well, you wrote a book and we're not going to publish it, but, right. you know, do what you want with it. It's not like we made, you know, super big promises or something. So right. it was kind of like, you know, why not? In a way, it's like, oh, I'll just kind of be like a secret person in the collaboration. This will be fun <laughs> to yeah. kind of see what happens. Yeah, I think that, that that part of it being organic and the fact that we were all talking all the time to kind of jump to the end is part of why it was so easy to just hand you the rough final and let you work on it and edit it and remove things that don't fit because we had been the three of us had been chatting over months the whole time yeah building mm -hmm. that trust and collaboration and giving you know we would send you some that poems here and there just for you to see progress and yeah, right. um that makes it a lot easier i think in other situations with other publishers there's a lot more separation it's not as like relaxed maybe is a good way to put it like it not that that's a bad thing i understand <laughs> the need for that i get i get both approaches this was just very unique i, I don't know that i will ever experience a similar situation so um yeah, me yeah <laughs> I, I, it's totally interesting. But in terms of like how it all came to be, it was pretty much so for for the first handful and then sporadically there would be times where we'd be writing actively at the same time in a Google Doc. But we there was no formula. There was no set process and not all of them ended up with both of us writing. Sometimes one of us would just have an idea and just write it down and then that would end up being it. We, the other person just didn't really have anything to mm -hmm. add. And not all of those are the ones that are from individual perspectives. Some of those are ones that are from both of our perspectives and you wouldn't necessarily know that, but as you get to know the other person's style and the things that they would write and the things that they would think or do, um, it's easier to be in each other's brain space because Lee Chadwick is more of the like absurdist. 
humorous side, not that there's no element of serious, but the tone that comes through in her writing is more on that side. And I'm more mm -hmm. on the um, very serious, often dark, very straightforward writing. And so bringing the two together, I think that's like the magic in it. But now we're at a point, and I know this is kind of tangential, but there was a recent piece that was published. Um, it was a collaborative piece with like over 20 people, originally published on HAD. I think it's now living on Icebreakers Lit. And people weren't sure whether it was me or Lee Chadwick who wrote the part that I wrote. Mm -hmm. They didn't know because it sounds like it could be either one of us. And, and people get that at this point and that it's, it's almost become a joke that we are the same person, even though we're obviously not, mm -hmm. but yeah. So it was just, we would each, um, we had a folder on Google drive and we would start documents with new ideas or new lines. And um, there were a handful of poems that never really went anywhere because they just weren't working for whatever reason, but most of them ended up in the final um, folder and I did a lot of the like admin stuff um, just because I I don't mind I tend to enjoy that so I had a spreadsheet and I kept track of <laughs> that stuff and and submitted pieces in different places and um, eventually we just compiled that yeah and that was exciting for me because you know as we're kind of taking a chance on this book you guys are sending these poems and out and there was like a period of time where it seemed like one of your collabs was coming out like every week or like every month or something. There'd be like a few more. And I was like, well, I guess I'm a genius <laughs> taking, the, taking this book that's not quite done. Because look how much you know attention the pieces are getting. Look how much love they're getting kind of out in the community. And it's interesting because, you know, I think so many, if not all of the pieces do work kind of beautifully out of context as their own pieces. But I think the way that we were able to put the book together, you know, partly the way it was sectioned with like the frames and, you know, pulling out the titles, it, it, it does like feel like it becomes like a, a conversation like between, you know, two writers just trying to connect in this weird way. Like we know each other, you know, in the digital space, like, and, and we, and we were working together, you know, and, this, we're not just having, I mean, we are having fun, I guess, <laughs> in the document, but we're, you know, imagining together is this way to kind of connect over all this time and all this distance. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's really beautiful how it came together in some ways, you know, kind of unexpectedly. And one thing that kind of impressed me about the work, I think as I was reading it and it was all coming together, um, is knowing that you two didn't weren't writing separately like you know when lee's name is there it's not necessarily lee or when your name there it's not necessarily uh you but the way that i guess and you kind of said it too it's like you kind of i guess figure out kind of how the person writes or, or what the thing is but the book feels very personal to me even though it's so imaginative and at times funny like there's confessional elements to it you know when it wants to and there is that heaviness at times but that kind of levity about it but you know like each character you know I, I guess that's how I'll re refer to the Lee and Adrian in the book you know each character is experiencing or communicating you know deep things like fear or pain or hopelessness and 
you're able to like take that on in each you know persona that i guess what i'm saying is like a long way to say like it does feel like one voice with like two separate characters so it's kind of you know i feel like in most collaborations i read and ones that i've taken part in it is very you know give and take a kind of a back and forth like that's like an obvious way to do it but your collaboration <laughs> isn't like that at all like it really does feel like one writer but you know i think part of what makes the book so beautiful you know are those things i said where you know the content goes into that direction but the language you know sort of makes it fun i think like a, a lot of the book kind of is about language you know in a way it's kind of like the title like the many meanings <laughs> the many meanings of the of the title but in a way you know one of those meanings is you know just constantly talking or like kind of using language you know and you have this way the two of you in, in the work of you know having these kind of really surprising juxtapositions maybe between two sentences or just in the syntax of one sentence um, and it's a book that as I read really makes me think about the sentence <laughs> I guess as a, as a unit um, and I'd wonder if you'd talk about you know as an editor you know and as a writer you know I guess how you look at sentences and and the ways in which you know language can be delightful and like it's surprise or um unexpectedness or yeah i don't know yeah talk a little bit about sentences for you and how yeah. you see them i actually one of my favorite classes in college was a class called the sentence and it was all about that looking at sentences and i think that i have learned a lot from lee about being more fluid with not necessarily not necessarily what a sentence is but what you can do with a sentence or how you can phrase things um and she has a really um fantastic way of taking things perhaps things that i would write that were more straightforward and making them something that were uh more lyrical so i've i've learned a lot there a lot of my writing separate from this and separate from poetry is much more straightforward in fact so so straightforward as to recount every single little detail and movement of a, of a person that's kind of where i gravitate so um this was really uh i had to learn a lot and through this process about how to do this but i think what's fascinating about our um, styles coming together is that sometimes a poem can seem like it's a play on words from sentence to sentence or um, a, just absurdist or silly, but most of these are about pretty serious things underneath that. And I think that is what's fascinating to me. I think that the sentences came together in a really organic way and almost do read like a conversation. And some of them were, and to some extent, I think that these um, I mean, they were literal conversations sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, but they were also conversations between us on the page to some extent. Like, this is how we got to know each other through the writing. Yeah. So I, 
there is intentionality, but at the same time, so much of this is organic. And it's a lot of it in these poems came down to how it feels. And that's not necessarily how I edit when I'm editing something, but um, a lot of these were very feeling driven and a lot of them are coming from a place of existential anxiety, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, I think that's what to me kind of makes it beautiful is it's like the existential anxiety is trying to connect over distance and through language, which, which is like in some ways impossible, <laughs> but you kind of, you can approximate it. Right. And then it's like in approximating it, you actually do kind of become closer, you know, in some way. To me, it's like the whole literary conversation in miniature, yeah. right? <laughs> I guess <laughs> in some ways. Um, but yeah, so, and then, you know, as you, as you kind of mentioned earlier, so Lee is the, uh, editor of your, uh, forthcoming, you know, full length solo poetry collection, uh, with redacted books. So yeah, talk, if you would talk a little bit more, um, about that book and yeah, get us excited about it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy. First of all that that is a thing it's called or will be called we don't know that this is temporary and it is a collection of poems some are prose poems some are not prose poems i had two chat books out and i sent them to lee and she had no idea i was writing other poetry and wanted to publish a book so most of them were written a while ago but it was sort of similar to the process with too much tongue um, except for obviously not collaborative in the same way but I hadn't finished the book when we made that deal it was more like obviously I have I had a, a good number and, and obviously had a vision for it. And she, at that point, knew who I was. I mean, I was a pretty safe bet based on her experience working with me um, so far. Um, but yeah, those are much more, uh, well, if you took all the absurdist humor out of too much tongue and were left with <laughs> the dark, heavy sadness uh, that's what you would get. I don't know if that's making anyone excited, but mm. they're they're really about my <laughs> my experiences with um, relationships, not just romantic, but also like family relationships, etc. Um, chronic illness, autism. I am uh, excited and also terrified, but it's happening. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah what terrifies you about it is it the content you know thinking about people you know kind of reading about these dark places I guess that we kind of make invisible I guess in some ways in our normal lives is that what kind of terrifies you or is it you know something else kind like? of I don't so much mind people I know reading these things I'm more I'm bothered by the idea of people I don't know. Mm. 
reading them. And, and that is it. it they are very um, personal. I mean, the stuff in Too Much Tongue is also personal, I suppose. And you can extrapolate some of the same things from these poems in Too Much Tongue, but they're much more obvious in my solo collection. And I, um, I don't know, it's just a lot to put out there. And also, I still wonder if they're ready. I trust Lee, and I, I know at some point you have to just make the jump, but I, because I'm historically not a poet, and I don't really understand poetry that well, I sometimes wonder if I have any business even publishing a collection mm, of poetry. Interesting. <laughs> I guess that raises a question in, in, in like, why wouldn't you, <laughs> why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you, um, I think, you know, cause there's like, there's some poetry I read and I'm like, there's some poetry I read. And I'm like, I clearly don't know how to read poetry. And then there's other poetry I read where I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I felt that I understand what just happened or I don't necessarily understand what happened, but I, I, it makes sense to me. Like the reading experience made sense to me. Right. And so in some way you write the poems that you would understand. Does that make sense? Does that sound right to you? Yeah. 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 I, that makes sense. I, I guess I just, um, I, and this is not just with writing with, with anything that I do, I don't want to do it unless I can do it right or be like the best at it. And I know with art, it's subjective, but Mm -hmm. because I because it's such unknown territory for me it feels really weird to be mm, publishing something in that area because I honestly can't say compared to the the other poems that are out there right now I mean I know that there are other poems that are better but I mean I can't I can't evaluate it the same way that I could evaluate say a collection of non-fiction pieces or a right. novel or yeah, something yeah. for myself i mean i think it's you know it, it's it's probably good doing a collab first too right you're like put <laughs> put in your feet in, yes. the, in the you know it's like a safer it's like a safer personal reveal first and then you step out and be like okay well this one you know this one's just me so yeah <laughs> you know as someone who has you know this is the sixth book i've been lucky enough to publish this year you know of other other people's um and i thought it would make me more comfortable with the idea of putting out some of my own personal work and in some ways it has and in some ways it hasn't at all yeah and i'm still <laughs> in some ways stuck at that barrier of do i really want this workout or like i i do and i probably would in the right situation i, I think i will I feel like I keep putting myself right against that door and then like closing and tiptoeing back away. <laughs> and and in some ways I'm like, what am I doing? Like, just put the stuff out, like, just go ahead. But it's, I think it is, it really is a challenge. I like have to wrap my mind around like the, I don't know that it's there, <laughs> that it's, that it's real. Is, is that, is that you know like for you too like is does it feel like it makes it more real i guess if like the book's published 
I think it makes it more visible. I think I've even been o I I I've been okay with publishing things in literary magazines. Uh and I hope no one in the literary community hates me for saying this, but because people don't really read them. I mean outside the literary community, people don't read the magazines. Right, um, right, right, right. So that's more of a safe space, but publishing a book it's just so much it's like all on its own it's more vulnerable it's um people are going to stumble on it who wouldn't stumble on a literary magazine it's just a, it's a whole different thing it's scarier and and other people want to support you who wouldn't necessarily know what it means to publish in a literary magazine right it seems it does seem like a much more public thing because then I guess you're in the position now that to you know represent your work in order to I guess sell the book or get it read more so yeah I can I see in a way it becomes like a more public imperative and then I do think there's like a lot of pressure that if you're gonna put a book out that it's like you feel like you have to like well how am I gonna get people to read it <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know? and so it's like I guess I do have to try at least to, even if I try and fail at doing a good job of making myself more publicly visible in some small little steps, I guess there is like, it's terrifying. There is a, especially there. like my, <laughs> I think for me still. Yeah, there is for me too. And, and with my day job, um, I did post about too much tongue on LinkedIn, but there's no guarantee that I'm going to post about the other one. I, I just don't know if I want right. like certain crowds of people to be as aware of that one. But then to your point, if I don't, then I'm potentially not getting some sales that I would have gotten. So, and if Twitter dies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Twitter is kind of an interesting part of it for me too, where like it's odd in a way where like, I feel fine sharing a piece that came out in an online mag that's kind of vulnerable and, and like sharing it on Twitter, but I feel really weird about sharing it on Instagram based on like, I kind of, I guess I have the opposite thing as you were. I'm fine with people I don't know reading it, but I'm not fine with like my, it like blending into like my real life, I guess. So it, I don't know. It's kind of odd. It's it's such an odd contradiction, I, I guess. In some way, it's the same. I guess like with the podcast too. It's like I'm happy to just record it and see what happens and put it out. But something, for some reason, when it's like a book, I'm like, it just seems scarier. Some for some reason. Yeah, it is. It is scarier, and I kind of look at it like I have three different categories of people. There's like the people, random people I don't know and or the literary community. And then there's people I know and then there's work. And I kind of think of them all as compartmentalized groups and different ones are privy to different in insight into my life, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And so it sounds like you're almost done with the poetry book. And I do, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're going to take the leap and, <laughs> and put it out. Um, and then are you, so I know, you know, we've been talking about how these two books are poems and you don't, <laughs> you don't usually think about yourself as like a necessarily a poet or a poetry reader, I guess. Um, but what do you think you'll do next? Are you, you know, are you working on other stuff? Have you been working on other stuff this whole time or are you ready to try something kind of completely different and back to prose? Um, 
I have off and on been working on things. I am giving myself the rest of this year off, more or less. I don't have any plans to work on anything until next year. I, yeah, other than the keeping the mags going, which is not writing per se. Um, I, it's work. It's work, yeah. <laughs> I, well, and I was editing a novel for a bit, and there's potential other novel editing coming up. I'm actually editing um, Lee Chadwick's um, next collection, which is called Sophomore Slump. So I also have that going on. But in terms of writing, the next thing will be a collection of nonfiction pieces. I hate calling them essays because. I don't understand why mm. we use that word, but they will be, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, essays. But yeah, creative nonfiction, they'll be very much in the style of a piece that I published on identity theory. Um, and there is a concept attached, but I haven't told anyone about it yet. So I'm going to keep it a secret. And I don't know if I'm going to publish, I probably should try to publish excerpts because they will stand alone well enough um should try to publish some excerpts beforehand but i don't know yet exactly how long it will be that really depends i'm envisioning something that likely isn't super long but we'll see i'll give you the the high level description without like going into too much of the detail it'll be looking at the same day across 10 years and so i'll be trying to write each chapter if you will in um within roughly like a 24-hour window and the way that i wrote the piece that's on identity theory it's not really a part of the collection um it's very it's what i mentioned earlier i went more toward the extremely literal extremely descriptive side of things and it's like walking through every single thing that's happening in a particular um, time period. So it'll be a little bit tedious to write. I, I think the style is fascinating. I've written like that before. And then um, to some extent, it's similar to how Sally Rooney writes, although it's a little bit more prescriptive than some of hers. She kind of leaves out some of the detail, but it's got kind of a similar vibe. So um 10 chapters, but I don't know how long the chapters are going to be, depending on how thorough I am. Should be interesting. All right. That was my conversation with Adrian Marie Barrios. We highly suggest you check out a copy of Too Much Tongue, either by buying it from autofocuslip.com slash books or some other bookstore or putting in a request at your local library. And don't forget to check out We Don't Know That This Is Temporary when it comes out next year from Redacted Books. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. Till next time.